this is the Raw and Radical Women in the Arts podcast, and I am your host, Maureen Broadbeck. In each episode, we explore the mechanisms of identity, vulnerability, authenticity, empowerment, and social change through conversations with inspiring women who are making history and challenging the status quo in both the art world and in society. We talk about their real-life challenges and celebrate cis and transgender women so that you can be inspired, empowered, take action, and further your critical understanding about what it means to be a woman in the arts. Woman, feminism, um, a revolutionary catalyzing reformation. Today, I am welcoming Nadine Wittlisbach. She is the director of the Photo Museum Winterthur in Switzerland since January 2018. She is working together with an interdisciplinary team with whom she creates exhibitions, publications and projects in other discursive formats in the field of contemporary photography and arts. She was the director of the Photo Forum Passcard in Bienne in Switzerland after she worked as a curator at the Niedwalder Museum in Stanz. In 2015, she won the Swiss Art Award for Critic Publication Exhibition category and she was the curator in residence at the Museum of Contemporary Photography in Chicago. Nadine founded the independent art space SICK, Raum für Kunst in Lucerne in Switzerland in 2007, which still exists and is run now by the third generation of collaborators. She is very interested in the diversity of the photographic media and we loved her for her punk attitude and insight on standing for your ideas and visions. Please welcome Nadine Wittlisbach. Hi Nadine, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello Maureen, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome, you're welcome. Could you please tell us a little bit about your background and why did you get interested in creating? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a funny story because before I studied, I did an apprenticeship as a carpenter. And um, through the firm I did my apprenticeship, I was actually working in a lot of um, rather large houses in Zurich. Yeah. Um, and some of them, they were really well equipped with artworks. All right. And, <laughs> and I remember one very particular moment where I was like working on uh, on a wooden floor and I was like looking up because my colleague was like asking to bring him some tools. And all of a sudden I realized that there was this huge painting by Franz Gertsch. And I was really amazed by this painting and sort of that was, <laughs> and in, yeah, that initiated my interest in, in the arts. Yeah. And um, that's how sort of I started to to be interested in visual arts, let's say, as a subject. Yeah. And then later on, when I studied, I moved to uh, Lucerne and I got this weird opportunity to actually start writing about art and artistic practices and also meet a lot of artists, my own generation, but also older ones. And eventually I took over an independent art space, yeah. which is now in the almost fourth generation of uh, young uh, curators. And yeah. all of them, I think, identify as a female. That's excellent, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but I had this moment where I was maybe 15, where I started to become more and more aware of art as yeah. a subject. Yeah. I didn't grow up with art, so it took me a bit longer. Yeah, but we each have our own path, right? And that's what is really cool, because yeah. you draw your inspiration from literature, film, uh, cinema, poetry, 
and theoretical texts, such as feminist texts, could you explain what are the common links between what inspires you? What makes you tick? Yeah, I think all those disciplines um, have their own sort of narrative, their own texture, their own way of actually taking up space or creating space. Mm. Mm. There are some interesting also ideas about how to draw inspiration from something, but then it only becomes reality when you actually start really working on it. Yeah. And I think that's the case with a theoretical text. You maybe first start to read and then it takes some time to process and then eventually it becomes something very inspirational for your practice. I'm, I'm sure that's yeah. um, the same for you as an, as an artist than it is for me as a, as a curator. But I think what makes it really interesting or the people I'm particularly interested in, what makes them interesting to me is because they are really aware of ambivalence mm. Mm. <laughs> and the potential to reshaping something we, we would sort of assume is the case or some sort of reality and that they are actually really challenging our perception no yeah. matter if it's in written form or if it's a visual language. Yeah, um, yeah it's really challenging yeah. the viewer. And I think that's what sort of binds them together for me personally. Mm. Yeah, because I understand this attraction and inspiration from filmmaking, because this is where I come from, filmmaking. This is where I started. And there's something about creating this experience and making something immersive with the cinema that's very special because it brings us the sense of time, space, memory, and also sound and mm -hmm. imagery together. Mm -hmm. I realize that uh, when you create exhibition, you are very sensitive to bringing these senses together, to mixing these elements, you know, and I'm interested in how you perceive narration, space and time to create an atmosphere an exhibition and why is this important to you because i noticed we have a common hero which is harmony kareen i absolutely love his films yeah i mean also because <laughs> he is a very i mean he's a very difficult uh, also author when it comes to work ethic mm. i still believe that his visual language is incredibly unique mm. but apparently the way he's working with people is not really something i'm trying to follow <laughs> But yeah, no, it's true. I mean, uh, this way of uh, yeah telling a story and yeah, that's really exciting. <laughs> so what is for you interesting in mm -hmm. bringing these elements of cinema together. together for creating an exhibition or an atmosphere? Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting question. I'm thinking about creating a space where you can both maybe experience the magic and the sheer horror of images mm. or the context which we are trying to create, I think, as creators and also as art educators, uh, as writers at Photo Museum is really also this idea that photography as a medium is, despite its many possibilities to shape or also create progress and to, to sort of enable different voices, it does exclude. I mean, still, it's a, it's yeah. a very problematic medium as such. Yeah. So I try to create sort of a safe surrounding mm. which is welcoming and that it actually gives the best possible outlook on on an artistic practice or on a medium obviously when it's um a particular uh, artistic practice usually I, I i still i work a lot with um living artists mm. so it's really creating together with them 
the best uh, framework for their work. Yeah, yeah. And then if it's a thematical approach, yeah, I just really try to create a space where the different voices, their stage and enough sort of space, yeah, to install their work and to show their work. And then again, also when it comes to programming beyond the actual spatial vessel, like the museum space, maybe through events and also obviously publications, yeah, it's sort of like multifaceted the yeah, approach. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you were saying, it's the museum space or other vessels. Yeah, they have sort of different accessibilities. And I think I'm trying to create those accessibilities the best way possible. Yeah, that brings me to the point where you talked about creating exhibitions and you said exhibition making has to do a lot with practice and experiencing and learning along the way. And I really mm -hmm. love this idea of not having to know it all and have to do it perfectly and still moving forward and follow your vision. You mentioned it is important to take up space. Mm -hmm. And could you talk about this? At home, I have a little note by Audrey Lorde and it says, life is very short. <laughs> <laughs> What we have to do must be done in the now. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's very true, especially now. And I have this very strong belief that no vision is becoming a livable experience by only dreaming and writing about it. It yeah. sort of takes resources and ideas, people who are sort of committed to this vision in yeah. order to make it happen. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm sort of trying to do every day to actually make things happen and to keep a process going, no matter if you succeed or if you fail. But I think actually working in the space, creating shows is so much about trying out things, not only moving around objects, but actually also really moving around concepts. Yeah, And yeah. this is not something you can learn in a scholarly way. Yeah, I mean, I have really, really high expectations of sort of academical approaches towards creating. And I'm also very glad um, to take part in conversations about concepts. Yeah. But whenever I work with very experienced creators or very young colleagues, um, this is sort of something everybody can agree on, that mm. it's actually about trying out and really doing rather than just thinking about yeah, yeah. shows. It's very practical also. It's, um, a lot of people forget how practical um, creating actually is in a sense that yeah. after the concept, the selection has been done, it's really also about creating a narrative in the space. It's a creative process and the act of stepping into action is, mm -hmm. is really key, I think. Mm -hmm. There's something very important in my eyes about justification, especially for women. Mm -hmm. The act of having to justify yourself, especially mm -hmm. when you're a little outside of the norm, outside of the usual canvas. Could mm -hmm. you tell us about how your background that was considered or that is considered unusual made it difficult for you to access some positions in larger mm -hmm. institutions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in hindsight, I felt like never really fitting into a particular box. Mm. For a long time, it was it was a real issue because it's true that I didn't get access. Like when I was still running this independent art space, I was incredibly curious about collections and I really wanted to gain some experience. And wherever I sent my, my application, 
everybody was saying, yes, um, you have all this experience in actually um, working on shows and mm. writing texts, um, being like sort of a critical thinker when it comes to visual arts, but you don't have a formal education, meaning yeah. I was not a trained art historian. Yeah. So for a long time, this was an issue for me because I couldn't get access. And then I got really lucky and I was like sort of people trusted in my curiosity. Like right now, I would say they really trusted in my curiosity and they made it possible for me to access. But I lived through those different phases of both being very rebellious and also very tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Maybe it was, yeah, before I became a creator in a museum, like I just said, when I became a mother and stayed on the job. And then again, when I actually became um, director of the institution, I'm currently working uh, at a photo museum. So do you think that as a woman you had different or more challenges than men? had to face in those positions? Yeah, I think as a woman, also maybe as a young woman in a certain position, you have to deal with very, very high expectations. And yeah. they are sort of coming from all different kinds of sides and they all have different agendas. Like people have different agendas, how through they formulate their expectations. And I think it's really, really important to know what your own interest is as a creator, because becoming a director means that you are also shifting your own um, perception of yourself as a creator, because yeah. it's, it becomes one of the tasks or one of the greatest um, possibilities to still uh, work on, like creating shows, but then you also are responsible for a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> finding your focus and also actually staying um, true to what you actually believe in. Yeah, yeah. That's maybe one very big challenge. And I think that's the same for everybody in a position similar to mine. But I think the only way to actually go through it without losing your head is actually finding people you trust They don't need to have the exact same idea about things, but you need to find common ground. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, finding allies is crucial. And to be able to ask for support, to be able to exchange ideas, and also, yeah, maybe to, to find people who share the same sense of ironic humor that is also helping <laughs> a great deal. <laughs> Yeah, because you said, and I'm going to quote you, you said, exhibition making will always be a collaborative effort. So what's yeah. your view on the power of collaboration? When I think about looking back at how curating has changed over the, over the past yeah, 15 years, 17 years, during this period, I was really active as a curator. The perception of curatorial projects has also shifted. And the idea of this sort of singular heroic curator figure has changed. And uh, I'm very, very happy about these changes mm. because you are never the curator of a project um, without the artist, without the editor, without yeah. the person working in the technical department. It's not about you. As a curator, you are supposed to create the framework for the artist or uh, if you publish for the theorist or the writer to shine bright. Yeah. Yeah. And we are enabler. That's how I like to think also about creating. Like you are um, collaborating, you are, you are enabling and you are not the person people should be talking about. They can mention you, but I'm very happy 
to become sort of a footnote in an artist's narrative. Footnotes are very important, but they are not the key for the visitor actually to experience uh, an mm. exhibition or mm. any other format for that matter. You mentioned earlier photography and exclusion, that photography mm -hmm. is still a medium of exclusion. Could you elaborate on this? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's important to to really see this, you know, that because photography is one of the main form of representation of the world we live in. Yes. And they used everywhere. Photographs are used everywhere and all the time. And they are kind of a direct mirror of society. Yeah. So you mentioned that it's still a medium of exclusion, especially mm -hmm. for marginalized groups. So mm -hmm. what are your views on this? Yeah, I think it doesn't take a lot of effort to think about the idea of a medium which includes. When I got back, sort of my own journey as uh, someone dealing with visual culture or, or photography, I realized that so many images I looked at were sort of influenced by a colonial gaze, by the idea of an anti-feminist approach towards taking an image of a person, by the idea that certain groups are not really part of our visual culture. They weren't mm. um, 50 years ago and they are not nowadays. Or certain particular communities who have been visually sort of portrayed in a very particular way, that's very influenced by the way I think about how exclusion and the medium of photography are still intertwined. And yeah, therefore, I think I draw a lot of motivation to actually tackle those notions, those perceptions who are sort of long-standing, knowing there's a wide array of authors, photographer, artists who are strongly and boldly putting out what actually their ideas are. And I think it's, yeah, it's really important to be aware that this is still what's happening nowadays. Yeah. Not because of certain communities who were very active during the past 12 or 18 months, like looking at Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, those protests have been happening for a long time. Yeah. But yeah. like the media outlets, they only started to become more aware of it in this real moment of crisis. Mm. And I think, yeah, this is thanks to us not really, or like me, um, not paying enough attention. That's also coming from someone who was actually based in different parts of the world. And I made also those experiences myself, what it means to look inside from the outside. But yeah, it takes it takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of effort, yeah. and it's our duty to to put that effort in to question those ways of looking at someone else or to be looked at. I think this is super important because the more people are going to be aware of this, the more people are going to question their practice, question what they look at, and mm -hmm. the more you're going to have the emergence of of different ways to do it, and it's going to yeah. be so much more interesting i think yeah also it's so much more exciting and so much more yeah really exciting to to discover to have exchange and collaborate uh, yeah. with people yeah. yeah i agree it makes it clearer how complex those different ways of seeing yeah. and looking and yeah. being looked at actually are yeah it's not the white male gaze who is the one we want to talk about again in 50 years. Yeah. I hope it's going to be a different narrative. Yeah, yeah. 
where are we at, do you think, in our visual culture about the days, the female days, the male days, the queer days, the yeah. any kind of days? I'm still really questioning this concept mm. of the idea of a female gaze because I still believe that patriarchy is a very long-standing concept. Yep. And I really think that it's not <laughs> that easy to actually deny visually this concept. So even though there are a lot of artists who claim this idea of the female gaze, I'm not sure if this concept actually still is really interesting to think about, let's say. So mm. I would rather think about different sort of perspectives and to actually be very precise about what those perspectives and in that sense, what those kind of gazes, what their role is, because I think it's, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. I do believe that it becomes increasingly multifaceted, those different sort of ways of looking at someone and yep. taking their image of collaborating also in creating an image. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, thanks to a lot of people being more aware. Yeah. There are also more voices being more visible with their idea of how to look for agency, both for themselves, their communities. <laughs> In that regard, I'm actually pretty excited because I think that there are more platforms being created and more people also taking up their space where yeah. they're yeah. rightfully um, belong. Yeah. I'm more positive than I was a couple of years ago. Good, definitely. good. <laughs> good, good, good. Could you talk about what it means for you to be aware of your own limitations and realizing you have some? How important yeah. this is for you? I'm a white woman and I was socialized. I was uh, yeah, brought up in Western society. Mm. So I have countless privileges I am more or less aware of. Yeah, therefore, I have a lot of things I need to unlearn. And I think it's a process which is going to be part of my, my life as a person, as a mother, <laughs> as the director of an institution. And yeah, I'm very aware. I mean, although there are certain things I, I would say that because of my biography, I'm more aware, um, sort of coming from a working class background, mm. um, with yeah, limited access to certain things. But then again, being brought up in Switzerland, uh, where I could choose my path, I was able to study. But then when I think my limitations became also through created through a societal framework, became clearer when I became a mother. Mm -hmm. So that still mm -hmm. has a huge influence on, on the way I also see things. Like my kid is teaching me a lot of lessons also about our society and how ingrained certain things are so yeah. yeah i think i'm i'm pretty aware kids are great for that yeah. <laughs> they keep reminding you and pointing pointing yeah, yeah. you and in the right are, directions and they have like no they have no shame yeah. which is amazing yeah they're very direct basically they do not give a <laughs> about anything so they're very good teachers <laughs> in that sense so in your opinion what are the social responsibilities of a museum or an institution Mm -hmm. You know, that acquires an exhibit artwork, you know, what are the mm -hmm. advantage, disadvantage from public yeah. to private institutions? Yeah, I mean, I think we carry a great deal of responsibility um, as institutions, mainly to, yeah, to rewrite stories, existing narratives, mm. um, to really question uh, narratives and create places for dialogues. I think it's a responsibility to question what is happening in society, politically. If we are not asking the questions as institutions, what other role do we actually have in society? So 
We are not an island. I think no institution is an island. I think it would help institutions in, in arts and culture to actually believe in a, in a concept of archipelagos, that we are sort of interconnected through um, certain questions. And yeah, to, to actually, yeah, also not to be afraid of making it also our goal to find uh, ways to carry this responsibility. Yeah, cool. How do we louden the voice of change? and women in society, in our society, beyond the museum walls? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, whenever I'm, I'm invited to be part of a crit in an art school, um, yeah, to take part in a jury process, I believe it's really important to make sure that people get enough time and space to, to take space and to be yeah. loved and yeah. to voice their opinion. Yep. And to also create a framework where development uh, of projects, of ideas um, is possible. And maybe to, yeah, to find ways to not be too dependent on, yeah, on, on economical issues. And that's, I know, the case for all of us. But it has to be possible to find time and space to actually formulate um, also resistance. Yeah. Because I yeah. think resistance can be very productive. Yeah. You need to have the privilege to form ideas of resistance as, yeah. a, as a woman, um, as a feminist, as a queer person. Yeah. And it's not the case for all of us. No, that's for sure. And life makes it difficult to do so. Yes. Yeah. It makes it really difficult more and more, I feel, to mm -hmm. do so. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for women or non-binary artists and professionals in the arts to stand up against inequality and to be empowered? Yeah, I, what, I, what I always find very helpful is to ask questions because usually, or in many times, I'm not saying that's always the case, but many times exclusion does not happen because of evil people or not only because there are evil people. Mm. <laughs> many times it's just being mm. unaware, um, being focused on, on other things, um, not maybe being that politically interested and then it only helps to ask questions like okay why why does this process look that way um did you think about and that can maybe be the start of a dialogue but i'm also aware that this takes a lot of energy um so i'm not saying um <laughs> everybody That's has true. that kind of energy yeah, yeah yeah if i'm asked yeah for for sort of a tip i would always say try and ask questions and then maybe there is the possibility that someone is actually listening to yeah why those questions are being asked because obviously they are asked for a reason yeah <laughs> Yeah. Not to say anything, it's, it's not going to change it, yeah. but that takes energy. Stay curious. <laughs> yes, stay curious and stay bold because no one has waited yeah. for any of us in that sense. Yeah, so. and nobody has time to take care of you. You have to take care of yourself, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then again to have this concept of caring for others um, to care for your allies because then it, it creates networks and then we it becomes... Um, stronger to go against ideas of uh, yeah like resistance and maybe also yeah. against the idea of um, yeah freedom in that very sort of political sense yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so about being bold you mentioned you're keeping a kind of a punk attitude I like that in regards to <laughs> your choices and standing up yeah. against criticism yes wrong radical right Could you tell us a bit more about this punk attitude? Yeah, that's what I also really liked about the name of your podcast. <laughs> yes. 
I think that, yeah, this punk attitude has, like I said in the beginning, it has a lot to do with um, sort of the way I, I started to work, to form mm. as a person when I was very young. And what I really like about um, having at least partially still a punk attitude is that punk is also about failing. It's not about perfection. It's always about yeah looking at things in, in sort of a very broad sense. And to find a detail you can actually cling to and then to be very dive into this nitty gritty. And while actually not really thinking about what people could think of that process, obviously we all are interested in validation and we all are interested in being positively looked at. But I realized that I can't do my job the way I would like to do my job if I'm constantly... Um, being bothered by what everybody else is going to think about yeah. me. Yeah. It has proven to be the right uh, mindset because like I said, expectations are always there. They always going to haunt you down in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. And I, I won't, <laughs> I won't find any peace of mind if I'm constantly bothered by what everybody else is thinking. And I think it has also to do with this very notion of women wanting to please and not uh, wanting to fail because yeah. if we take chances, we cannot fail. And it's, yeah, like you say, it's also to be able to sort of being aware of vulnerabilities without forgetting the strength, which actually is tied directly linked mm. to yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. You know, that makes me think that I feel like in our societies, we don't learn enough about how to fail and how to deal with failure. Because when you think about school, you have to make sure you don't fail. Failing is bad. Mm -hmm. You have to, to not fail every time. And I think this whole notion of embracing the failure and learning how to do with it, this is something we all have to learn to really use it for yeah. it to bring us forward better and it's something as a society we don't do. So it's yes. it's very important to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally agree. Because without trying, you are never failing. But that's yeah. just how that that's just not how it was how anything was achieved ever. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's that's the total illusion. So embrace the failure. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. This podcast is supported by Pro Helvetia, the Swiss Arts Council, the Republic and Canton of Geneva and the city of Lancy in Switzerland. We are so thankful for their support and commitment to women, culture and the arts. Thanks for listening to Raw and Radical Women in the Arts podcast. Learn more about our featured artists and sign up for news and updates by visiting our website rawradical.com Please consider leaving us a comment and review on your preferred podcast listening platform to help others discover the show and take part in this global dialogue. I am Maureen Broadbeck and until next time, keep the dream alive. Woman.